If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. What an opening statement that is in that portion of Scripture. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Paul there speaking about a future. In Christ, it's not all about this life. It's about the future. It's about eternity. He goes on to say, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits afterward, they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. So we see Paul talking about the conclusion of all things, I would call it, that when the Lord returns and delivers up the kingdom of God fully, ruling and reigning on the earth. I want to take for our text this morning, verse 22 from 1 Corinthians 15. For as in Adam all die, and even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And when you're looking at the signs of the times of the last days, it's wonderful and it fascinates me, and it's wonderful when we see history unfolding, the prophecy unfolding, history fulfilling prophecy. And it gives me that assurance that God is in control of everything. Because everything the Lord said would happen has happened. And everything that the Lord, still to be fulfilled, I believe with all my heart that it's going to happen. And I believe with all my heart that the Lord is returning, hopefully soon. And when you look around you, you would nearly think it's going to be soon. But none of us know the day nor the hour. So we just look forward to it. But you know, the most important aspect and it really is an important aspect of the study of the last days, eschatology, or end time events, whatever you want to call it, is that when we look at these signs and we see them all around us, therefore, what do we personally do about them? And that's a question to everyone this morning, the unsaved and the saved. When you see all these things, what do you do about it? You know, it's okay knowing about them. Just like uh, you may know the, the, the symptoms or the signs of a serious illness. And if a doctor points out these signs of a serious illness, you're going to do something about them. You're not just going to sit back and say, what will happen, what will happen. You're going to do something about it. You'd be foolish not to. You have to prepare yourself for treatment, for medication, so that you are ready and you are prepared when this ailment really hits you. And therefore, the important question this morning for every man, woman, and child is, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? As I said, we can look at this, we can show you the signs, we can show you the fulfillment of prophecies, we can show you what is yet to be fulfilled, and for me, that's only the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, it's a very important question. Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Because it is going to happen, and it will happen sooner than mankind thinks. You know, they laughed at Noah 
But you know something? When the floods came and they saw, saw God closing that door on the boat, no one laughed anymore. And people today laugh and mock. But they're not going to be laughing and mocking when they hear the trumpet, when they hear the voice of the archangel and they see the Lord himself descending in a cloud. Why should you be ready? You know, mankind needs to know that they need to be ready. Because some will be saved from these terrible events. And some will not. There are those today that tell us not to worry. They're in pulpits and they're telling people not to worry because we're all good. And God's a God of love and therefore we are all okay. A very prominent TV evangelist is famous for a statement he came off with and being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey, he said that 99.9% of all men and women are good people. Well, you know something? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does not say that. In Romans 3, 9 and 10. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. You go into what Jesus said and uh, recorded in Matthew 19, 17, Mark 10, 18, Luke 18, 19. There is none good but one, and that is God. And so we need to realize that because we are, through our sin, lost that relationship with the Lord. And unless we, rest, well, unless we turn to the Lord and that relationship is restored, then the outlook for you is not good. Because it's a lost eternity. An absolute and total lost eternity. You know what I want to concentrate or look at today is what I would call God's distinctions. Now, it may not be grammatically correct, but just give me a chance and see what I'm talking about. What is a distinction? Well, a distinction is a difference or a contrast between similar things or people. Or it's excellence that sets someone or something apart from, from others. And I want to concentrate on a difference or contrast between similar things or people. And if you look at the word of the Lord, you will see that the Lord sees a difference between things or between people. First ones I want to look at is Cain and Abel. You know, the most evident difference between these, the two sacrifices that Abel and Cain offered was that Abel offered an animal, a blood sacrifice, and Cain was offered a, a vegetable, a bloodless sacrifice. There may have been, uh, some commentators say, additional implications there. But Abel brought his best portion. Cain simply brought some of the ordinary crops he had for Abel, it was a sacrifice to give. For Cain, it was just give what he had, but not all that he had. And we see the Lord's acceptance of Abel and rejection of Cain. We also know that God looks upon the heart, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. There was something in Cain's motivation and heart, his attitude, and possibly something in his performance that made his offering unacceptable to God. It was obviously something that he was aware of 
and could remedy since God actually had said to him in Genesis 4 and 7, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Excuse me. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. You see, there was more than just the sacrifices here. It was the attitude of the sacrifices here that God sent. You see, we know that Abel gave, or sorry, Cain gave in to sin and, and murdered his brother Abel. But when, when you look at this sin lath at the door, this was working on Cain. There was, an, uh, there was an envy. This envy just didn't come because of one sacrifice, which is unacceptable. You know, sin lath at the door, what that means is sin is coming in. And the more we open the door, the more we let sin in. And so in God's eyes, there was a distinction between Cain and Abel. Yes, God loves all men. And if Cain had have repented and not dead what he did, God would have forgiven him and, and blessed him. But God seen a distinction. God seen a difference between Abel and Cain. One followed the Lord and loved him, and the other had a chance to change things. But stubbornness and sin hardened his heart and he refused to take his opportunity to make things right with God. And the distinction God seen was that Cain made the wrong choice. And we could look at Cain and we can reflect and see ourselves in that. The choices we make, we need to look at them and we need to see a sin lying at the door. Are we doing really genuinely what God would want us to do? Or are we opening the door to sin and letting envy, letting pride, letting greed, letting jealousy come into us? Because you see, this is what came into Cain. Sin laughed at the door and he opened the door and let sin in. And God seen that distinction, a heart for him through Abel and a heart for himself, Cain, who did not think of God. Cain made the wrong choice. Then I want to look at Ishmael and Isaac. We read in Genesis 15, 3 to 5, And Abram said, Behold to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars that they be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And so Abraham had this promise from God that his seed would be as numerous as the sands on the seashore, as the stars in the skies. In other words, they would be without number. Without number. And obviously Sarah knew this. And so they were both, as it were, impatient, but in Genesis 16, Sarah really got impatient. And she gave Abraham her handmaid, Hagar. And Abraham went then unto her, and she bore him Ishmael. And he was the child of the flesh. And the Lord reiterated his promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, and that Abraham would be the father of many nations in Genesis 17, verse 5. And so we see in Genesis 21, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham, a son in his old age. At the same time, 
uh, at the set time, sorry, of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Genesis 4, verse 28, we see, Now we, brethren, sorry, Galatians 4, verse 28, as Isaac was, are the children of the promise. And so there was a distinction. Because of the impatience of Abraham, because of the impatience of Sarah, there was a distinction between Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac was the son of the flesh. Sorry, Ishmael was the son of the flesh. Isaac was the son of the promise. And so the choice Abraham made, he made through impatience. He made through impatience. He couldn't wait on God moving. And you know, that's one of the biggest downfalls for many Christian men and women, impatience. We want everything yesterday. We're praying, Lord, send this, and Lord, do that, and Lord, change this, and Lord, fix that. You know, sometimes when we come to the Lord and we pray, we're praying, expecting Him to give the answer that we want. But you know what we need to do? Learn to be patient. Learn to be patient. You see, Abraham was impatient, and him and Sarah tried to take the matter into their own hands. They were impatient, could not wait until the Lord fulfilled His promise. Abraham made the wrong choice, and God saw a distinction between Ishmael and Isaac. As I've said, Ishmael was a child of the flesh, and, uh, and Isaac was a child of the promise. How many Ishmaels have we birthed in our lives? Impatient for God and going ahead and trying to do it our, our, ourselves. Opening doors that God hasn't opened yet. Going and doing and saying things that God hasn't wanted us to say. But impatience has got in. And at the door, sin lieth. When we get that impatience, Satan will put them doubts in your head. God hasn't answered. Or it's okay, I know, you know, I'm sure if you try and surmise what they said to Sarah, it's okay. God told Abraham he's going to have children. Go ahead, give him Hagar. And let Hagar bear him children. It'll be your child anyway. Because obviously Hagar was her slave, so everything that Hagar had belonged to Sarah. Impatience. And because it was impatience, then we see that God drew a distinction between the children. Ishmael did not receive the blessings bestowed upon the descendants of Abraham. This was passed on to Isaac, and Abraham made the wrong choice. Instead of doing it God's way, he chose to do it himself. You know, that also impatience implies that we believe that God doesn't know what he's doing. God doesn't know what he's doing. We should learn patience. There's another two characters in the Bible which there was a great distinction between was Saul and David. You know something that, uh, use a Northern Ireland saying here, the dogs in the street knew Saul shouldn't be king, it should be David. Everyone knew, Saul knew, Jonathan knew, David knew. And when Saul was seeking his life, and David hid in the cave, Saul came into the cave. You can hear the voice of the young, the, I actually don't think it says young men, the men that were with David that day. God's delivered him into your hands. Take him now, kill him now, the people will be behind you. But David had learned patience. David had learned that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And David says, I will not 
lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Impatience, David would have sinned in lifting his hand against the Lord's anointed. Even the bad kings are there because God put them there. But the distinction that God seen between Saul and David was David's heart was for God. David could have profited greatly. David could have probably immediately been made king. David would have been free to walk the land because Saul was going to kill him. And I'm sure he was fearful and had to watch where he went. He had to be able to trust who he met because they would have told Saul where he was. In fact, Saul was eventually told where he was. And that's why he went looking for him. When we go back to Abraham, it's this impatience that made Abraham make the, 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 the wrong choice. But it was patience that made David make the right choice and honor God by not lifting his hand against the Lord's anointed. Then another couple of characters in the Bible was Rebekah's twin boys, Jacob and Esau. It says in Genesis 25, 22, that these two boys struggled against each other in the womb. Then we go to verse 27. And it says, The boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of the venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so even with the parents, there was favorites. And I'm sure this caused uh, contention between Jacob and Esau. And Esau had went out hunting. And he had come back hungry. And he claimed that he was about to die because of his hunger. He was going to die because of his hunger. And you know, when you think of it, this would never have happened as he returned home. There was plenty of provision for him. He was greedy and he was impatient. And he wanted it there and then to the point that he sold his birthright. And there again we see it, sin knocking at the door, taking this fleshly weakness that we have, this greed that Esau had, and sin was lying at the door, knocking at the door, and Esau opened the door. He was greedy, he wanted it there and then. He made a choice on his personal desires to eat and not wait until one of the servants had prepared him a meal. Think of it. He would not have starved to death among his family. He'd arrived back with his family. This wasn't just him and Jacob on their own in a tent in the middle of the desert. He was back with his family. They had servants. They had herds of sheep and goats. They had wheat. They had all sorts of food. All he had to do was wait or at Tell one of the servants, make me a meal. But he was all want, want, want. Nigh, nigh, nigh. His choice was determined by the here and now. If he had have waited, a fine meal would have been prepared for him. But his flesh could not wait. Impatience again. He was not prepared to, uh, to fight against the flesh. He gave in to the flesh. And what did he do? He gave away his birthright. And because of that, he also lost the blessing. And the blessing went to Jacob. When he went in on to Isaac, Isaac told him that the blessing would go to Jacob because Jacob had the birthright. And then what did he do? 
he blamed his brother. Esau made a choice, and he blamed Jacob. Boy, isn't that human nature all over? When we do something wrong, it's someone else's fault. Right from Adam, it was the woman you give me, Lord. Right through to today, people blame others for their wrong. And Esau blamed his brother, even though it was his choice. A choice that he made. And at that time, as far as he was concerned, rationally, but if he sat down and thought about it and had a bit of patience, he would have been well-fed and well-supplied. And it's wonderful as we look at these people, it's the same thing. It's that, that impatience, them fleshly desires and sin just standing there knocking and knocking and knocking at the door. And because we're so tied up in ourselves, then we give in and make the wrong choice. And God sees that distinction between those that will wait on him, those that will follow him, those that will love him, those that will serve him, and those that will serve themselves. What about Joshua? And what he told the children of Israel they were to do, he just got fed up with them. And what did he say? In Joshua 24, verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you. See that word again? Choose you this day whom you will serve. We have a choice. God did not create robots. God gave man reason. God gave man a brain to think. Some of us don't use them, but they're there if we could only use them. And Joshua said, choose you this day. It had enough. They wanted God to bring them into the promised land. They wanted God to provide food. They wanted God to look after them, to do away with their enemies. But they also wanted to worship other idols. And Joshua said, no, you cannot do that. It's either God or the world. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You see, Joshua followed Moses, who had led the children of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea on the dry land. As we've said several times, because of that, they were no longer slaves in Egypt. They had left Egypt as slaves, and now they were free men. The Lord had delivered them, not just from that land, but he delivered them from Egyptian laws and the rule of Pharaoh. While they were in Egypt, they would have had to adhere to their rules, their regulations, their laws, and they would have to pay, uh, pay homage to Pharaoh. But now they were on the other side of the Red Sea. They had passed through, and the world could see that they were free men, free to serve the Lord. We know that they dwelt in the desert and passed through lands that other people lived in. And now after 40 years, here they are standing on the banks of the Jordan. And they're asked to make a choice. Make a choice. Joshua was told that when the feet of the priests who uh, carried the ark touched the river, the river would open and the people could pass through. And so here we are again. They were given the choice. Serve the Lord 
and pass through the waters to the promised land. You know, Christians like the Israelites, when they crossed the Red Sea, were no longer slaves to sin. Were no longer slaves to sin. Slaves to sin, no longer under the dominion of Satan, the prince of this world. And Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice, opened up this way for us to cross. And this involved no effort on our part, only to obey. And again, when Israel crossed over to the promised land, believers who have made that choice to follow Jesus will cross over into eternity, the promised land, to dwell eternally with the Lord, to dwell forevermore with the Lord, where there'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, and the former things are passed away. And you know, the Lord's repeating the words of Joshua this morning. Because church today, men need to make a choice and pass over the Red Sea and through the Jordan River into the kingdom of God on earth. And that choice is for every individual. What choice will you make? What choice will you make? Think about that this morning. What choice will you make? Because there will be a distinction between those who made the right choice and follow the Lord and those who refused. You know, God... God never neglects or pushes away anyone. It's men turn away from God. God doesn't turn away from men. Through the choices they make, which are determined by the lusts of the flesh and the desires of their body. You know, one more one I want to look at was a a really poor choice, which emphasized what I've just said there. And it's found in Luke 18, verse 22. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thy one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Again, church, here we are. A young man with a desire, challenged by the words of Jesus. You know, many people have went to churches throughout time, went to places where Christians have met and heard preachers. And they've been challenged by the word of God. But then comes the choice to turn from your ways, turn from what you're doing, and turn to the Lord. You see, this man, he had kept the law but he was lacking something that Jesus saw in his heart. In Luke 18, 22, it says, When Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet thou lackest one thing. Thou lackest one thing. His love for his wealth surpassed his love for Jesus. The choice he made led him to a lost eternity. And his heart was moved, but his mind saw only loss. And you know, if you have to make that choice to follow Jesus today, and if God's convicting you today, or convicting you tomorrow, and you look at where you are, and you look at your life, and you think, I can't continue to live like this, but then you start to think, I'm going to lose all this. I'm going to lose all this. you know something? You're losing an awful lot more if you turn your back on the Lord. Because see, the things you have now, they're temporal. 
They'll fade away. They'll be destroyed. And just like you, the Lord tarries, they'll be gone. But you know something? Life in Jesus is eternal. The joy that Jesus gives is eternal. In Mark 8, 36, it says, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That tells me that the value God puts in your soul is much, means much more than the wealth of this world. And really think about that. Because if you're struggling with it, sin is lying at the door. They'll tell you you'll lose friends. They'll tell you people won't believe you. He'll tell you all these things to put that little seed of doubt in your mind. And then you make the choice. And you need to make that choice because there will be a distinction. See, this man's choice was this life which perisheth away. But eternal life is joy, peace, and happiness in the presence of the Lord forever. See, with all these things going on in the world, which we've pointed over, and we'll look at again, and we'll see maybe in the next couple of weeks. And men see these things. But you know something? They're more interested in man's way or man's way than God's way. Despite the warnings. Despite the warnings. I knew a gentleman, and he was told he had cancer. And he was told what he needed to do, and he didn't do it. Foolishly didn't do it. And then when he wanted to do it, it was too late. The surgeon told him, you should have came in when I asked you to come in. What a loss. That surgeon could have saved that man's life. Who knows? Don't know what other ailments he had, but he could have been with us today. But he died of cancer because when the surgeon told him he needed where the cancer was removed, he wouldn't go and do it. And then when he wanted it removed, when he suddenly got it into his head, I'm going to die here, it was too late. But you know something? Cancer can only kill this body. But it can't take it for eternity. Because we will rise again from our sleep and see the Lord. And God will call us on to himself. My friend, this morning, there is Proverbs 16, verse 24 said, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. As we have looked at the last days and what's going on in the world, it's time for you to get yourself sorted out with the Lord. It's time for you to get yourself sorted out with the Lord. Word of God tells us in Isaiah 55 and 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Because when that trumpet sounds, the archangel calls, symbolically the door of the ark will be shut and it will be too late. And you, my friend, are going to a lost eternity. As we look at these signs of the times, it's time for us as Christians to stand together in unity and in faith. I've just seen a, a social media video clip. Uh, there's a website called the King James 1611 or something. But it showed these two 
I don't know what they were. They looked like little deer to me. They're spring box or something, all right? I actually seen one of them once when I was in Kenya. But these two animals, these two deers, let's say, were fighting together, and they had locked together their antlers, and they were pushing and fighting. And while they were doing this, like a train, the lion hit one of them and took them down. And the wee caption said, fighting each other and not seeing the, the real enemy come. And you know, as Christians, we can be like that, fighting each other and not fighting the real enemy, which is the devil and the world. We've looked at some of the things over the past couple of weeks of what the world's doing today. Just give you a quick update. And one of the things, the, I'm sure you've heard of the Roe versus Ward debate going on in America at the moment. If you don't know way back, I think it was in the 60s, uh, there was a decision made in the United States Supreme Court to allow abortion because they claimed that the baby in the womb was just a, a clump of cells. It had no feelings. Uh, it, it couldn't understand anything. And well, recently, uh, they've uh, brought scientific evidence to the United Supreme Court, and the United Supreme Court have to. They have no choice but to change the law regarding abortion. And the left-wing media are going mad, absolutely bonkers. That's the world, church. The signs are there. There are ways which seem right to men are the ways of death. And there's other things I could update you on, but I want to concentrate this morning because I believe that people need to make a choice as Christians to stand together as the army of the Lord, pray for each other, uphold each other, pick each other up when we fall, there's great sadness and another large church has gone through a bit of turmoil at the minute and I'm praying for them. I don't know the whole story. It's none of my business, but I'm praying for them. It saddens me so much to see that. Church doing so well and whatever's happened, I don't know, but we are praying for them. It's time for the unsaved to turn to the Lord and receive forgiveness. Why? because it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. Judgment in this earth and its inequities and blasphemies of its sin, they will come. The late James Versailles, Pastor James Versailles, one of the founders of the churches of God, he said one service I was listening to him preach, he said, if God doesn't judge this generation, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But God will judge this generation, unfortunately for them. But God is rich in mercy and will forgive those who choose to follow him. Because it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is your choice? The wrong one, as I've said, will lead you to a lost eternity. And the right one, you'll receive the promise given. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so my final question is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Seriously, think about that this morning, please. We don't, as a church, want to see anyone head into a lost eternity. And so you've got to answer that question yourself this morning. We've done our job, we've told you. We've shared the word of the Lord. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ?